these disciples had not only witnessed Jesus doing miracles, but they had also participated in those miracles, and they were sent out to do and perform those miracles. They come back off of that, and there's the feeding of 5,000, and Jesus is telling them to, like, these people need to eat, and actually they came to him and said they need to eat, and Jesus says, you know, go, ye- go um, get food for them, okay? And so they're like, huh? How are we going to feed them? So you'd think after performing miracles and watching Jesus perform miracles, they'd get it, but they didn't get it. And so then Jesus says, what do you have? And he transforms the uh, five loaves and two fishes and feeds the 5,000. And then there's more. There's more preaching and miracles. And then now we get to the feeding of 4,000. You'd think this would be pretty concrete for this group at this point, right? These guys have seen this. They've done this. We're good. No, we're not because... They said, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? How are we going to nourish them here in the wilderness? They were in the wilderness with 5,000. How, how could they not have figured that out? That if they're with Jesus, there's power. If they're with Jesus, if they believe, they can do it. i got a question for you. When you have someone that doesn't know Jesus with you. Do you believe that if you speak the word of God to them, that they can be fed? That they can be spiritually fed? Because I think a lot of time we don't believe that. I think we have a lot of unbelief in that area. I know I have. So maybe it's just me. You're all quiet. And laser works. Really things not working. Okay. All right. Um, so I had a whole different sermon about three weeks ago, pretty well laid out. And I think the key thing that really stood out to me was if you've gone through your disciples, if you've gone through and witnessed miracles, it's still, you still need to be reminded how God works and how to share the gospel. You still need to be reminded what the gospel is. So rather than kind of going through some of the minutiae and cool details about four thousands and seven baskets and all that good, good, cool stuff I usually like to tear into, let's focus on um, let's go back here. Kind of made it fun. So they said, "From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness?" That's what the disciples asked Jesus. Jesus said, "How many loaves have ye?" He turned it back around on them. He did it last time. He did it again. Turned it back on them, saying, "What about what do you have? What resources have I already blessed you with that you can use to feed these people?" And we are the, we're disciples, okay? If you follow Jesus Christ, you're a disciple. So it's your responsibility to use the resources God has given you to go and feed them. So if we're the ye, let's focus on the how. And if we want to know the how, 
we're going to learn the what. And the what is, what is the gospel? But the word of the Lord, that's a key part of that, endureth forever. And it is this word by which the gospel is preached unto you. There's a key here in that being the word, okay? That's going to be the theme following all the way through this. So every time you see that, just, just catch that, okay? So the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So where does the power of God come through? The word. Thank you. Good. The preaching of the cross. So what is the gospel? The preaching of the cross. Don't know if there's a more concise or better place in Scripture than 1 Corinthians 15. And if you, if you got to into Awana, you memorized this, right? So, and I will have to say, going to Awana and helping out with that years ago was very good for concreting a lot of these verses that are, some of these are Awana verses specifically, and they are very good to, because you're helping kids memorize it, so it's, you're memorizing it too, you're going over and over and over again. All right, anyway, so there's a plug. So at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, it says, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you. So what's the gospel? Uh, It's by which you are saved. So it says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Notice how the scriptures is in there lots? That's because there's power in God's word. There's actually two Gospels, so let's deal with the the issue of two Gospels out there. I hope that this talk is going to tear apart some misconceptions, okay? So there's a a man-centered Gospel, and there's a God-centered Gospel. A man-centered Gospel, you've probably heard this before, it says, you have a God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. Put your hand up if you heard that before. Okay. The gospel of God says, because you have sinned against God, you are a child of wrath and destined for an eternity in hell. I didn't pull a punch there, did I? I kind of hit it hard. But isn't that the truth? Okay? It's, it's, it's not you lacking something to fulfill your life. It's the fact that you've sinned against a holy God, and because you've done that, you're destined for wrath and punishment and judgment. Man's gospel says, if you accept God or Jesus into your heart, Sincerely, Jesus will come and live in your heart and fill that hole. Does it sound good? It sounds good, but it's a trap. If you receive Christ, repent from your sins and believe that Jesus redeemed you on the cross, then you will abide in him and he will abide in you. What's the subtle difference? One is about fulfilling something in your life. It's focused on you. The other one's focused on Jesus. Man-centered gospel says that people are basically good. People are seeking God, but just haven't found him yet. Um, Man-centered gospel appeals to your desires. It uses language that you can relate to. And and you can have your best laugh. You can have your best laugh now. God's God's gospel says all men have sinned against a holy God. No one seeks God. It is God who has sought them as a shepherd for lost sheep. That was Jesus' purpose for coming. That godly sorrow leads to repentance. Only the scriptures can lead to salvation. 
And if you're having your best life now, the worst is yet to come. Isn't that true? If you're having your best life now, the worst is yet to come. Because the gospel says that your best life is after repentance. Right? <clears throat> Mans, you will have joy, happiness, success, comfort, and prosperity. Have you heard that? <clears throat> All you got to do is put a little seed money out there. And God will bless you. You will have trials, tribulations, and suffering. You will be reviled by men. You know how Jesus said, when you are put before authorities, not if. When they persecute you, not if. Right? Remember what Paul said? By much tribulation must we enter the kingdom of God. Man's gospel says everything will be great in your world while you enjoy the pleasures it has to offer. God says you will hate the things of this world and desire the things of heaven where you will find great joy and ever be in the presence of the Lord. Remember the, the, the um, command from Paul is to set your mind on things above, set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. Man-centered gospel says, do good deeds, give to the poor, care for orphans, and you will receive merit towards a, a better heaven, and you will feel good about yourself. God says, because Christ is in you, you will have new desires. And share the love of Christ by caring for others and by sharing your faith with them for the salvation of their souls. A major difference in motivation. Man's inner gospel says, church is fun, exciting, the food is great, the people are great, kumbaya, and we all love anecdotal preaching. Which God says that church is a place to worship the Lord and express your love for both him and your neighbor. The preaching is scripture focused. You're here because God wanted you to be here this morning. That's why you're here, and to worship him. Man's gospel says Christians uh, should have their Bibles and nice carry cases filled with nice pictures, funny jokes, stories, commentaries, and a little concordance. And for God, reading and memorizing scripture is a favorite activity. Bible time is not a chore, and the scriptures are more important than men's wit. And I should say that that is exactly the places where Satan's going to attack you to try and prevent you from those activities. Man's gospel says that if you repeat the Lord's Prayer each night, pray at church and in small groups, then you're basically a Christian. God says prayer is a burden and a delight at the same time. It's a burden because you feel you have to pray and be close to the Lord. And it's a delight because you're being close to the Lord. Bringing all your cares to the Lord is vital and missed when it's skipped. So, God knows better than we do. Do you agree with that? Well, the scripture tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. And um, uh, my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So, you might have a good idea of what it should be, and that's for sharing the gospel. You might have some brilliant concept of, ah, if I just do this, it'll draw people in, right? Or bring them into church. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end are the ways of death. If you create something yourself to, to try and sell the gospel, you're appealing to flesh, what are you going to produce fruit-wise? More flesh. And that soul isn't saved. That soul is going still on their merry way 
to their worst life. In the end of the ways of death. It's a pretty big warning. For the time will come when they will not hear endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap for themselves teachers having itching ears. We see that quite a bit. There's teachers that have itching ears, and they preach what people want to hear. Right? I'm not doing that today. <laughs> I'm not... The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, that there is none that seeketh after God. Did you know that no one seeks after God? He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who drops the bottle. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He goes out and he seeks after the lost sheep. That's what he does. He goes out and seeks after them. It's not us that sought him. He sought us. God's ways are higher than ours. How to share the gospel? You got to start with the law. Wasn't that just for the Jews? I'm asking because, you know, sometimes we get caught up in that a little bit, don't we? Well, that, that's just for the Jews. That's not for us. We're Christians. We don't have to, we're not under the law anymore. True. But every lost soul that's out there is still under the law that they can't fulfill. So you get them lost, or you get them so they know they're lost before you get them found. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we, have, that we might be justified by faith. You cannot be justified by the law. You can only be justified by believing in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And it's the law that pushes us to Christ. Okay? Law is part of the word. It's the law that leads to Jesus. The law of the Lord is perfect for what? Converting the soul. Keep the law of the Lord thy God. Who's done that before? Who's kept it? Not I. Not anyone. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So how do you know about your sin? You can't confess and repent if you don't know about it. So you need the law to know about it. And the law tells us what sin is. I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So the law, written down, what was it written on? Stones, not easily to be changed, so that we would know what sin is. The law is not made for the righteous man, but lawless and the disobedient, for godly, for the ungodly and for sinners, for holy and prof profane, sorry, unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be anything, other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So the law was made for every sinner, right? And the law reveals sin. They that forsake the law praise the wicked. Have you forsaken the law? 
That's what it says you do. That's pretty harsh. Sin is transgression of the law. You know the Ten Commandments? First one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Have you ever put anything before God? Okay. So you're all doomed. Have you ever made any image? Have you made a God in your imagination? Have you decided that God would never do that? Right? You say, God will never do that. Because you don't think God would ever do that. Even though the scriptures say he would. Like, God never send a good person to hell. Only good in their own eyes. Right? If you make a God in your own imagination, you made a God in your own image. So it's not just about whittling a, 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 an idol. It's about making God conform to you and your ideals is also making God in your own image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And there's two steps to this one. It's a cuss word. If you've used his name as a cuss word, you took the name of the God who created you and you ran it through the mud. Actually, worse than mud. If you have done anything in Jesus' name and it was sinful, you've also taken God's name in vain. Ever thought about that? As a Christian, you bear the name of Christ. So your witness and your example every day needs to be upright. One that represents Christ in, in everything you do. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If you've got the Lord abiding in your heart, you're going to keep the ultimate Sabbath one day, aren't you? With him in you, he's your rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Honor thy father and mother. If you don't, it's called rebellion. And we know that rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Did I skip one? No. Thou shalt not kill. Remember what Jesus said about that? He says, if you look on a brother with anger, if you have, if you have anger towards a brother, hatred towards a brother, it's the same as murdering him. You see, what's interesting is that Adam was given one commandment. He said, don't eat of the fruit in that tree. Everything else you can do, just don't eat of that fruit. And he broke the one rule he was not supposed to do. Broke the one. He didn't believe what God said, and so he broke that rule. And then we get Moses, and he's got ten commandments and a whole bunch of other laws that go along with it. So you can really break sin down. And then Jesus comes and says, there's only two law, really. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he breaks it down to those two. You know what's crazy? That just amplified sin. Because anything that's not those two is sin. <laughs> right? Anytime you sin against your conscience, it's sin. If, if you don't know it's right and you do it anyway, it's sin. So it's a burden if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus says, take my yoke. It's easy. I'm there with you. Right? It would be impossible if it wasn't for Christ coming alongside us in that yoke with us. It would be impossible. 
I won't go through all the rest of them. They're there. You probably know the Ten Commandments. I'm hoping you do. If not, all these notes will be emailed out. And Exodus 20 is where you'll find them. And I need water. All right, so breaking the law is sin. For as many uh, uh, as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So there's a curse upon you if you break the law. And what's that curse? Curse is judgment, and from the judgment, you get cast into hell. That's not a good place. That's not a party. There's no partying. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that means that you've all broken the law, and you're doomed. 1 John 1 8 says that if we have have if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So if anybody in here thought that that's not me, I'm not part of that. We know that's not true. Because if you say that you're not, you're deceiving yourself. Stop deceiving yourself. Okay? Think that you have no sin, that's not true. And and let's be frank, even as a believer in Jesus Christ, you still battle sin in your life. I battle sin in my life every day. I'm in short confession with the Lord because I get thoughts that I shouldn't have. Temptation hits me all the time, and I get thoughts, and I'm, uh, Lord, I give you that thought. Lord, I give you that thought. Lord, I give you that thought. Right? It happens. For me, it's like all the time. So I guess you're constantly talking to the Lord because, <laughs> sorry, Lord, I give you that thought. All the world may become guilty before God. The whole world is guilty before God. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend one point is guilty of all. Why is that significant? Because some will justify themselves and say, I am better than them. I only did one. I only broke it once. I lied once. Right? You, bro you did one, you're guilty of all. You broke one, you're guilty of all. It's like a chain. You know, it's linked together. You break one link, it's no good anymore, is it? It's broken. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Is that a pretty harsh statement? It's a pretty harsh statement, isn't it? Whose side are you on? Against thee only have I sinned. That's what David said when he sinned with Bathsheba. He says, against you only have I sinned. He's confessing to God. There are two kinds of sin. There's transgression and iniquity. I love how this verse does it because it's exactly what they are. Without is transgression. The outward actions that are sinful are transgressions. And the stuff that's in here and in here, that's iniquity. In case you didn't know the difference. See, it's iniquity within me. Or iniquity in me. All right. There are three forms of sin. We have the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I'm not going to dig into it, but remember, that's basically how Eve failed. And it's also what Jesus was faced with in the desert before his ministry. And he passed, she didn't. Pride, that's a big one, right? That's a hard one. Maybe you can overcome lust, so the FRS from lust of the eyes, but it's pretty tough to overcome pride. That's a, a challenging one. It says that 
It's an abomination to God, a proud look. It's an abomination. And we have a classic verse here, for the wages of sin is death. The good part is, for the gift of God is uh, eternal life of Jesus Christ our Lord. But the wages, the cost of sin, is death. That's the only way it works. God is perfect and holy, and there has to be death to pay for that sin. There has to be. Even from the beginning. What, what did God do for Adam? Killed something and clothed them with the skins. Right? Covered him. Something had to die as a result. And all the way through, there's a whole lot of blood being spilled. Lambs and goats and oxen and cattle and doves, turtle doves, and all these things are being killed for our sin. The consequences of sin are grave. This is but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and liars. Free will covers everything in the Ten Commandments right there. Shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The wrath of God is against sinners. The wrath of God is revealed, against he- revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Who's, who's enjoying this? <laughs> this, is a, a, this is hot. <laughs> the wrath of God is against unbelievers. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So if you don't believe in the gospel, then the only consequence is the wrath of God abides on you. That's that lake of fire. And actually, I think it said right there, unbelieving. Did you notice that? Did anybody catch that? That the unbelieving? Just in case you thought, I did all these good things. It's like that rich man. Remember Jesus said, yeah, you've kept all this stuff, but go and sell what you have and follow me. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't, couldn't do it. But God sent his son to be the savior of the world. Amen? The father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. This is also another famous Awana verse. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he and God. Remember when we compared those Gospels? This is it. Right? In, in, in John 15 it says, um, I will abide in you. He says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. My words will abide in you. And of course we know John 3.16. Everybody is probably familiar with, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And God sent not his world to the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. So there's a way out. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, that's a compassionate God. He created the world, and despite all of the world's ugliness and sin, siding with the devil, worshiping evil things, he still sacrificed his own son, his only begotten son. You know what begotten means? It means like the true heir. It's actually what Abraham said about Isaac. 
he had Ishmael like 15 years before, but he reference, he's references Isaac being his only begotten son. Interesting, because he came from the wife, the legitimate one, right? He was legit. Jesus Christ is legit his son. That's why it says that he's the only begotten son. We also have the power to become the sons of God through the gospel, right? For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And for the Son of Man came to give his life for a ransom for many. That's the purpose of Jesus coming. That's why he says he's the good shepherd. And redemption. You've got to think of redemption like a transaction. You know, like if you redeem a coupon. You, if you paid for something, you've got to go get it. And that's what redemption is. It's a transaction. He paid for your sin it's been purchased. Really, all you got to do is go pick it up. You got to receive it, right? When the fullness of time was come, so that means like just at the, just the right time, while, we, while, while, while you, we were yet sinners, these statements, God had this all planned out, just the right time. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And we can go from being filthy, awful, horrible creatures and then be adopted as the sons of God. Wow. Right? That's, that's a contrast. We get to call him Abba Father, Daddy. That's a close relationship, isn't it? For you are bought with a price, and that's a price you can't even put a number to. You cannot put a number two. It was paid for by blood. Remember? Something has to die to pay for it. And it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We are saved by the grace of God. We are saved by his love, his choice to save us. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It means you cannot do anything by your own merit to win yourself to God. There's nothing you can do. The good news behind that is there's nothing you can do to undo it. When you're saved and you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's in your hand, he won't let you go. I mean, that's amazing. But it means that you have put your faith in him. You've trusted in him. You've turned away from that old life, that old filth. And you're with him. You get to be a new creature. Acts 16, 30 to 32 says, um, there's a jailer, he says, what must I do to be saved? That's a very good question. The best question that an unbeliever can come to. What, they get lost because you tell them about their sin. They learn about the wrath that's to come and the consequences and that there's no way out. And if they get to the point where they say, what do I do now? Well, what do I do to be saved? Like, that's where you want them to come to, isn't it? Every time you have a conversation with an unbeliever, you want to be able to lead them to that point where they say, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And then the response was, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and, the, and to all them that were in the house. Now, how do they get saved? 
to the word, to the scriptures. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. They believed. That's how they got saved. Can you, can you please God without believing in the things he said, with the promises that he's made? No, you can't. You must believe. Christ is the end of the law for a righteous to everyone that believeth. So you're no longer burdened underneath that old law when you're in Christ and Christ is in you. That's an amen. That's the freedom right there, isn't it? That burden of the law is gone. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you have given your life to the Lord and you believe on him, you're no longer appointed to that wrath. So instead of going down, you're going up. And your best life is yet to come. God is merciful, says the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. God is merciful. Do you know that's in Exodus? Just after they brought down, Moses brought down the second set of tablets. So in reference to the law, in, in finishing off the law, we're told that God is merciful. So Israel's given the burden again. Here it is. Here's the Ten Commandments. But just know that I'm merciful. There's a way out of this. There's a way out. Those stone tablets, by the way, represent Christ. Right? First time Moses had the tablets, what happened? They broke. He broke them. He came down, and they broke. Jesus came. First time he died. Second time the tablets come down, they don't break. When Jesus comes, he's going to come with that mercy. And he's going to take us to himself. Isn't that cool? Just the stone tablets, the law, represent Christ. He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. That humility, that's referring to repentance. When you stop being proud, and justifying your sin. You break your heart. You're humble before God. He'll give you grace. That's when the grace comes. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's calling us to repent. He says, he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <laughs> Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come in the presence of the Lord. There are good results from repentance. Times of refreshing. That new life. It says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So, you must believe. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he died for you to pay the price for your sins. And there's a free offering of grace for salvation and repent from your sins. Repentance is, there's no exception. You must repent for salvation. He says, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put in with you. You see how repentance 
comes with that belief. Do you see that? That God will change your heart. He says he'll make you a new creature. He's going to give you a new heart, new desires. That repentance is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in case you're going to get hung up on it, repentance is not your job. Repentance is what you do as the Holy Spirit works in you. And he works it out of you. So it's his work. It's his work on the cross. It's his work on your heart. Amen? See, it's a gift of God, not by your own works. Cannot do it yourself. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. So it's godly sorrow that comes from God works repentance. See how it works, repentance? That's God working. But sorrow of the world, it's death. So don't fake it, (laughs) right? And we don't want the people we're talking to to fake it, so don't give them a man-centered gospel that talks about fleshy things, or you're not going to get them past the death. It's not fun to say, by the way, if you're a sinner and you're going to hell. No one wants to say that to somebody. But that's the truth. And if you leave out the truth... You're a liar. And the blood's going to be on your hands, isn't it? God also to the Gentiles granted repentance. Do you see how he granted it? It's his work, his gift. Now, I've kind of snuck this in there quite a few times already with the underlining and talking about the word. But it's the word that leads a sinner to repentance. It's not going to be an allegory or some fun story or some other creative way or a program that's going to lead a sinner to Jesus Christ. It can't. It can't. Your, your ways are low. His ways are high. Aren't they? It's only going to be by the scriptures that you can lead someone to salvation. It's through the words. For the word of God is quick and powerful. It's the one that's got the power to save. Dividing asunder soul and spirit. Discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You're not going to get someone to repentance if it's not with the scriptures. Right? It probably reminds us to, to get familiar with them, doesn't it? We should be familiar with all these verses. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Today's day and age, I think a lot of people are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. They want to create an alternative means of presenting the gospel. An alternative gospel. Well, Paul says he's not ashamed. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. That's the full gospel. What I mean by that is you start with the law. Because that's what the Bible says. It's the law that has the power to bring someone to being lost. So that they can realize they're lost and say, how can I be saved? The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The, the seed, Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8, there's four types of soils, and the seed's being cast out in the four soils, but one soil is good, three of them aren't. Three of them don't produce. Those are unrepentant hearts, aren't they? And the one that produces the the, the one that's good soil that can have fruit is the one that's had the fallow ground turned up. 
It was a heart of stone. It's been turned to a heart of flesh. It's softened. It's ready for the seeds to go in there. And what's the seed? Luke 8, 11 says, the seed is the word of God. So the sower, Jesus, sows the seed into the soil, and the seed could grow up only when the heart's right and ready. That's prepared by the Holy Ghost. The seed will grow up. The seed is the word of God. Nothing else. The only thing that can grow into that plant, salvation, is a seed that's the word of God. Not a creative one from, from us. Peter said, where will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. It's the words that lead to eternal life. It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profited nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. How did Adam become a living soul? God breathed into his nostrils his spirit and he became a living soul. That's what Jesus says he does to everyone who gives his life to the Lord. He breathes his spirit into their soul and they become alive. I mean, eternal life. Am I doing bad for time here? Running out? Okay. So, the word, the word, the word. Do you guys get it? It's the word, okay? So, don't, it's not a program. It's not any other smart ideas that we have. It's the scriptures. So, the, the thing I'm really trying to drive at here is get familiar with the, the scriptures that surround salvation. Get familiar with them. Memorize them. If you struggle with memorizing, put some in your pocket. Print them out. Put some in your pocket. Get some gospel tracts that have scripture in them. That's important because that's what will lead to salvation. So that when you have an encounter, let me say this way. When God brings you to your appointment with a sinner, with someone who has given the life to Jesus, you can talk to them about the gospel. And if you ask God, please give me an appointment tomorrow, he'll probably give you some appointment with someone who needs to know when it comes down to, will you be bold and will you share your faith? Right? Oh, and how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? We're told to go and share the gospel, aren't we? You know, like we pray for people. This is a mistake I've made. You know, when I've got cold feet, I'm trying to show the, I want to show the gospel to somebody, but then the circumstances aren't just right and I get cold feet. Well, I'll just pray for that person. Praying for that person is good, but we're told to go. How will they know unless uh, they hear a preacher tell them? That's Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It's, it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is key for salvation, and it comes by hearing the word of God. It doesn't come from your allegory. So let's make sure we got the scriptures there. When the Gentiles heard the word of the Lord for eternal life, they believed. They had to hear the word of God. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. They're already under judgment. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So shall my word 
be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. That's the cool part. If you share scriptures with somebody, you've taken the responsibility off of yourself now. Because God says that his word will not return void. It's his word. It's his. So, if you share scriptures, you're not going wrong. There is a way that you can go wrong a bit, and that's by your heart. So, how do you share the gospel? And like, in what attitude should you be sharing the gospel? Just gonna skip to speaking the truth in love. And if you don't love lost sinners, ask God to put that in your heart to give you a burden for them, to help you to love lost sinners. Because if you don't have a love for them, they'll, they'll see that coming. Uh, I'm coming to you with uh, some scriptures because, um, well, it's my duty. Right? That's not going to work so well. The door that opens for you is going to be in the care. What did Jesus say he had on those people that were all there in the wilderness? He had compassion on them. I have compassion on the people. They're hungry. What are they hungry for? They're hungry for the gospel. They're hungry. So going back to the feeding of 5,000, give ye them to eat. Going to the 4,000, he says, what do you have? What do you got? You got resources that I've given you. I labored over it. It was uh, written in blood. There's a lot of them. Pick some, use them. Right? Scriptures are there. A servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, and apt to teach and patient. I've got news for you. I've got caught up in this. I want to start talking about, you know, science and creation and science and arguing about evolution and why they're wrong or some other debate, trying to get stuck on technical points. And what am I told? A servant of the Lord must not strive. Don't get stuck there. Don't, don't even entertain it. Just show them love. If you tell them the truth, let God do the rest. Right? Amen? Because the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to prepare the heart. In meekness. Do you know what meekness is? A lot of people don't know what it means. Moses was the most meek man. It's like a chihuahua barking at a wolf, and the wolf decides not to chew the chihuahua. It just stands there. That's meekness. That wolf could destroy the chihuahua, but it's being meek. It doesn't. It doesn't try to push the power that it has, right? The knowledge that you have and all that stuff. That's meekness. Oh, and it's peradventure will give them repentance to the knowledge and the truth. See the point? Why we behave ourselves that way? With love, with mercy, meekness. Grace, kindness, gentleness. That's why. Hopefully, that it's that that opens the door for them to be able to hear so that they can have faith. It's hearing the word of God. The law is good if men use it lawfully. If you don't use it lawfully, like there's a lot going on right now where it's not, it's, uh, well, let's get you back underneath the law. You've got to keep the law. And it's, yeah, Jesus died for you, but you also got to keep the law. It's not lawfully. The lawful way to use it is somebody who's already under the law, you need to show them. 
you're already underneath this law. You want to get out from underneath that law. The law is holy, and it's good. David said, I love that law. Why? Because it, it leads to salvation. I'm not going to go through all this, but I did kind of put together a little dialogue as if you were going to share the gospel with someone you don't know. Um, incidentally, if you wave like 10 bucks and say, anybody want to do a good person test? People will come. <laughs> so that's an opener if you need an opener, right? And really, probably God has given you an opener because he's put so many people around you that don't know the Lord that you just need to talk to them. Okay, but if you, if you wanted to randomly go down where, where Danielle's parked and get some attention, wave a 10 or $20 bill. Seriously, that's not a lot of cost to get uh, a life saved. So don't worry about the cost of that $20. You're just going to give it to the Lord as an offering and say, Lord, I'm going to give this to you. And you say, uh, so uh, I got a $20 bill for anybody who's willing to take a good person test. And you're going to get people. You know what? People like to talk about themselves. That's what they do. They're like, yeah, well, I'm sure I'll prove that I'm a good person. I can do the test. Ask them. Have you heard the ten, you know the Ten Commandments? They probably know two or three, usually. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, right? Thou shalt not step on my toes, whatever. They, they don't know them all. So they say, okay, you don't have to go through all ten. But hey, have you ever told a lie? No. Really? Not even a white lie? Okay. Yeah, I told a lie. All right. If I told a lie, what would you call me? A liar. Okay. Um, have you ever stolen anything? No, no, never stole anything. A paperclip or a pencil, a pen, piece of gum. Yeah, okay, yes, I, yeah. See, it's not the value of what you stole. It's the fact that you stole. Okay. Have you ever looked upon a woman with lust? Up here, right? Over at the beach, cannot, right? Okay, so the Bible says that if you look on a woman with lust, Jesus said if you look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's three. You can't have broken all three. You blew it, right? If ju God judges you by the Ten Commandments on the Day of Judgment, will you be innocent or guilty? You know what they like to say? I'd be fine uh, because isn't God good? I'm not as bad as that other person. You have all these scriptures that you just talked about. You know the Bible says? All liars should help apart like a fire. And, and you're not going in with cockiness. Talk to them in love. Get, hopefully, they leave self-justification behind and get to the point of so what can I do to be saved? Like, does it concern you that because God's higher standard than ours, he has to punish sinners? And that since you've sinned and you will face him one day, you don't even know when. You might drive down the road and get run over by a car or, or get in a car accident. You don't know. And does it, does it concern you that if that happened and you face God right now in your sins, that he would have to judge you? And, and you want to know that the person is going to say, yeah, that does concern me. And if that person does, has that concern, their heart is being prepared. Give them more scripture. Lead them to where they can pray and ask for forgiveness and, and put their faith in Jesus. Give them the Bible. If a person says, no, 
I don't even believe in God. You can try and give some more explanation, show some scriptures, and if they still put up a front, say, you know what, can I pray for you? They say, forget that noise. Sometimes they'll say, sure, pray for them. Pray for them anyway when they leave. Ask them if they'll take a Bible or or, um, maybe a track or something. And trust them to the Lord. As a person who is, is going to still self-justify, they've got those other soils, right? They're not ready to hear the gospel. They're not going to accept the gospel. And Jesus says, don't cast your pearl before swine. You could spend a lot of time chewing in on that person trying to do that, and what you're going to do is braid them. So you just have to also trust God that God is going to then take those seeds that have been planted and prepare the, the, the heart and maybe even 10 years later, 20 years later, that person might go, oh, I remember this experience and get burdened by it. Anyway, sorry it was a little long. Uh, but I want to, to break down some misconceptions into arm each one of you with some understanding in Scripture so that you can go out and when you have that divine appointment with that person tomorrow or the next day that you can remember I'm, I need to share my faith with this person and, and this is where it begins okay. sometimes you're going to be dealing with someone who's got a long relationship with you and has got a pretty good idea who they think you are you know family and stuff and that's usually tougher and then sometimes you just get into a conversation with somebody in the grocery lineup and they're willing they're, how many people in the grocery lineup once you start asking them a question or oh, oh, I see what you got that. Yeah, I had that last week. It was really good. All of a sudden, they're telling you about their daughter's wedding and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. God gives you those opportunities, and it's about now taking that opportunity and, and saying, hey, have you ever done the good person test? You know, or or do, do you believe in God? Well, these are kind of the ways in, right? Thank you, Lord, for your scriptures. And that it's your scriptures that have the power to save lives, to change lives, to, to create new creatures. Thank you that our only responsibility is to go, to preach the word in season and out of season because you told us to. And that the actual yielding of fruit, the, the, the growth of fruit, that's in your court. And we trust that to you. And we just thank you for that you actually, it's, it's, it's a commandment you've given us so that we can participate in the expansion of the kingdom of God. And it's a privilege. So it's an honor, Lord, that you call us to do this, to be your servants, to be your vessels. And uh, just pray that you would give us a boldness, give us courage, give us the scriptures on our hearts. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.